there's not a lot that we can agree on as human beings, am I right? And the events of the last, the multiple events of the last year and a half, two years, just seem to have added fuel to the fire in the many and varied ways that we can disagree with each other's opinions and points of views and understanding of what is true and what is not. But the good news is that there are some things that no matter what your race is, your culture, your creed, where you are in the world, your age, there are some things that we can always agree on. Some of those things are joy, peace, justice, truth, hope, faith, love. Every human being is made to desire those things. Every one of us wants those things. Now, very quickly, we fall apart when we disagree on how we get to those things, but we can at least agree that those are worthwhile goals in being alive and being human. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're all captivated by an infant child. Because in a certain sense, a small child seems to incarnate, seems to capture all of those things that we long for in themselves, in their purity and in their peacefulness when they're not screaming. They capture that, and we're captivated by it. Now, that quickly goes away when their personality comes out and they become little stinkers, but they capture something of that. And I don't think it's any accident that as Christians, God chose to reveal himself to the world in the coming of his son as an infant. Because Jesus is the one who captures all of those human longings in himself. During the Advent season in the parish, we've reflected on the movement of the wise men. So the first Sunday of Advent, it was the recognition of the stars and them being captivated by the message that the star gave to them, acknowledging this kind of otherness, this experience of something that was not created by them that captivated, seized them. And then from there, they had to make the decision to set out on that journey. And that's no small thing, to start out something new. But it's the acknowledgement that the deepest desires that we have make us willing to take risks because they're that important to us. And so the wise men set out, but it's not like they had to just go down to the end of the block to meet Jesus. It was a long journey. And so for them to persevere without knowing what the destination was required a real patience in them. And that patience was to acknowledge that the journey to get there is as important as the destination itself. But all of those things would have been meaningless if the wise men didn't meet Christ. Because what do we hear on the Feast of the Epiphany when the wise men come to Bethlehem and see Jesus? They fall down and pay him homage. They worship him. This encounter with Jesus is what changes their life. That instead of listening to Herod, they go home by a different route, which is symbolic of the change, the radical shift in their life that comes from knowing Jesus, because we believe 
that he captures all of those longings of the human heart. Because we can all agree that the pursuit of happiness is a worthwhile thing, that it's something that we share in common. And the pursuit of happiness captures all of these other intangible things, the joy, the peace, and so on and so forth. But the difficulty is, how do we make those concrete? Like, those are nice ideas. I want to be joyful. I want to be at peace. I want to know truth. But how do we make them concrete as human beings? How do we bring them down to our level, so to speak? Well, if any of you are sports fans, you've experienced it. Unfortunately, I'm an Oilers fan, so it's been a long time since I've experienced it as an Oilers fan, so I have to go back all the way to 2010 and the gold medal game in Vancouver. And at that time, I was still in the seminary, and there was at least 20 guys crammed into the TV room to watch this game. And we're in overtime, and I can remember one of my friends sitting next to me, who was not a Sidney Crosby fan, turned to me and said, if he scores the overtime goal, I'll never say anything bad about him again. If you remember, he scored the winning goal. And immediately, every guy in that room jumped up in jubilation, high-fived each other, hugged, went, oh my goodness, that was so amazing. We had nothing to do with that. We didn't do anything to make that happen. We weren't involved in any way. We were miles away from that. But that experience was a shared joy with the players that did make it happen. That made concrete a joy of winning, of conquering something. It made it real. But there's a danger even in that. Because the danger that comes in that is that the pursuit of joy in that instance becomes dependent on circumstances. So if I have the right circumstances that can bring about joy, then great. But if I don't have the right circumstances, then how do I get joy? It has to be something that's more profound than just based on circumstance. Because what we do as human beings is if circumstance determines whether we find justice or whether we have hope, we tend either to the finite, created things, or the infinite. We tend too much to the finite, material, created things when the responsibilities in my life dictate everything that I do and I can't enjoy time with people because I'm always focused on everything that has to get done. I don't have the ability to receive love from others. I can give love, but I can't receive it because the doing is so much more important than the receiving. Or we get focused too much on the infinite things if my screaming children or conflict makes me feel like it's going to rob me of my peace so I get angry to try to correct that so that I can regain my peace. That's also not ours to do. So how do we move beyond circumstance to make those longings of the human heart actually real? It's encounter. It's the experience. It's the wise men coming to Bethlehem and paying homage to Jesus. Think of it this way. For someone, maybe at some point, you picked a role model. That there was somebody maybe physically in your life or not physically in your life 
but the way that they went about their life, the way that they understood life and what they spoke to you and taught you was so significant that you started to model and shape your life based on what they said or did. Or it's someone who struggles with addiction and the experience that they need to have to actually take the steps to be freed from addiction. If you or someone you know has been addicted to something, you know that it's very hard to break free from that. And they need to come to a point where they experience profoundly how much they need others, how much they need help. And it's only when they can acknowledge that in themselves that it shifts their life. And they change how they live, how they exist to break free from that addiction. Well, for those of you that are married, it's when you met your future spouse and the love that you found in each other was significant enough that you were willing to risk a lifetime together and of trying to form a family that that encounter with that person was so great that you were willing to say, the rest of my life will be shaped with you by my side. That's not a small thing. That's a huge encounter that drastically shifts the course of your life. And the Christian life is supposed to be the same. The Christian life is not about an idea about how to understand the world. The Christian life is not about an ethical or moral choice in how I live. The Christian life is the invitation to know Christ, to encounter Jesus. And the radical shift that comes from knowing him in your life is what gives you a different idea of the world and gives and shapes your moral life. But it starts with him. Because the Christian invitation, the Christian proposal is that in Jesus is the fulfillment of every human desire. That your desire for joy, for peace, for justice, for truth, for hope, for faith, for love, become flesh in Christ. He is the one that we meet to find those things that every human heart is looking for. So here's my invitation tonight. Adults, with your piece of paper, you'll have... Jesus, I offer you. Jesus, I ask of you. And what I'll invite you to do is, at the end of Mass, if you wish, to come forward and to place that paper in the basket in front of the manger. I would encourage you, if you're capable, to genuflect in homage, in adoration to Christ as you offer him this little gift of your prayer. It won't be a requirement. It'll be completely up to you. But it's a way to try to make concrete for us this meeting, this encounter, this experience that Jesus can maybe possibly be the fulfillment of my desires. Now kids, you've got your little bag. In your little bag, you have a candy cane and you have a chocolate. In a minute, I'll tell you when you can come. But what I want you to decide right now is you have one of each. You can give one to Jesus and keep one for you, or you can give both to Jesus. It's your choice. But in a moment, after we pray the creed and we pray our prayers of the faithful, 
when we start to prepare the altar, I'll invite you to come forward and you can come and place your gift in the basket for Jesus and just say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And you can keep one as his gift back to you. Okay? So make the decision which one you're going to give and which one you're going to keep or if you're going to give both. And then as soon as we're done praying here in a moment, I'll invite you to come up to the crash. So I invite you all to please stand as we profess our faith and you can pull out your kneeler to be prepared to genuflect. I believe in one God, my Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God.